0: All right. And so what we can do today is kind of continue with the, uh, the Dhamma as it goes and also can do a bit of review. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, they go together. So let's start back with the Eightfold Noble Path. That the Eightfold Noble Path is, in fact, uh, a key or the integral part of the teachings of the Buddha. That the Buddha, in fact, says that he only teaches one thing, and that is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which means that the, the uh, uh, while everyone has moments of uh, peacefulness and quiet, that very very few people are uh, disturbed 100% of their time
1: uh,
0: mm-hmm. and that uh, these people generally don't last very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can become the CEO but then he'll croak but he also mm-hmm. become the uh, uh, prisoner in, in jail mm-hmm. but most of us have time to time during the day when we have a more natural state of what Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about is void mind. Now what we mean by void mind here is not a thoughtless mind, completely thoughtless, um, but that it's void of any harmful thing. That um, when we're really little kids we spend quite a lot of our time and in, uh, in joyful things, we play, we uh, become curious, we climb trees and we uh, dig holes in the ground for no reason other than the enjoyment of it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we write on the wall. Well, if mom comes in and catches a kid writing on the wall, she's going to get unhappy and upset And later in life, that child will remember not the 10 minutes or the hour he spent writing on the wall. He's going to remember his mom getting angry at him. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because we have this stuff called instinctual behavior, and the instincts are supposedly to keep us alive. But that uh, humans are best developed when we change that instinctual behavior into wisdom, so that we start living our lives in in a state of wisdom rather than in a state of instincts. Uh, This dichotomy is actually known uh, in every culture. When I Mm -hmm. was in church, they would talk about your head or your heart as if the heart were somehow more important or more valuable, your feelings. But the teachings of the Buddha is exactly the opposite of that that all of our trouble, all of our heartache comes from the heart, comes from the Mm -hmm. instincts, comes from the deep. And that when we develop wisdom, then now we're smart enough to stay out of all of our trouble. And so this is what uh, one's uh, right view is all about, is that developing that viewpoint or that wisdom so that we can stay out of trouble ...and live a happy, comfortable life. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, um, right view comes first. But that when the the reason for the Eightfold Noble Path... ...is to bring the mind into a state of wholeness or the state of unification... ...where all of the factors of the mind are working together rather than only bits and pieces of it in that regard what we mean is is then the wisdom part of the mind is not going to destroy or to take over the instincts Mm
1: -hmm. but
0: rather the the wiser ways are going to know the instincts and to be able to manage them well so that a person becomes whole and integrated and we do that through uh investigation and through the development of wisdom Okay. So this is what it's all about. Now, the Buddha talks about uh, right noble view uh, in relationship to wrong view and ordinary right view. There is a wrong view. Okay. And and then there is an an ordinary right view. And then Mm -hmm. there's the super mundane right view or the noble right view. Okay. Okay. Now the ordinary right view excuse me let's go for the wrong view first okay. wrong view basically the heart of wrong view is I can get away with it I can harm others and not and not ha- suffer any harm on my own
1: mm-hmm.
0: I can I can hurt people or I can take what I want so this is one's wrong view without having to pay the cost mm-hmm. They also have kind of the point of what's the use of doing anything of any value for the yes. future. Okay, so uh, they they don't understand the law of karma in the sense of good e- getting good results from good behavior and bad results from bad behavior. The wrong view is is that no, I can go and do what I want to do. Okay. We find that very common within religious groups they almost have the idea that because i am in this religion i can go and do what i want to do i can go follow my heart and i can get away with it because at least i'll get forgiveness yes i see that in both christianity and in islam so uh this is one's wrong view one's right view then is No, you can't get away with it.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That you will, if you do wrong action, you will get, uh, um, or if you do dark actions, you will get dark results. And if you do bright actions, you will get bright results. So now you have the argument, basically, between the parent and the child, where the mom is saying, you got to do this. And the kid says, I don't want to do that. And she says, you've Mm -hmm. got to okay so this is a dialogue between ordinary right view and wrong view and that in fact our whole society now is built upon ordinary right view with punishments for wrong view or punishments for wrong actions okay all right so So. um you you have basically this that um both of the wrong view and the right view have magical thinking built in, especially ordinary right view. Magical thinking. Okay. Magical thinking or delusional thinking. Uh-huh. But, but magical thinking is easier to understand as magical thinking uh, uh, when it's airy-fairy. Mm-hmm. uh And a lot of that is, for instance, you cannot get away with it means that you've got to have some sort of police that are very, very good at their jobs so that you, in fact, can't get away with it. But most crime in the uh, in the West is, in fact, in any country, most crimes never solved. The police never do solve crimes very much. They do some, but not many. Mm But the whole quality of ordinary right view is the quality of beginning, is trying to control people. So ordinary right view is what governments are based upon. The idea that you can pass laws to make people live together so that they will cooperate and not hurt each other so much. Okay. The problem with ordinary right view is, is that it does not eliminate suffering. Yes. Yeah, something is there, whether you have right view or wrong view, there's still suffering involved.
1: Yeah, because it works by repression only.
0: And so the whole idea then of the Buddha is, no, there's a higher right view, and that right view based in wisdom is also based in investigation. Mm-hmm. To where ordinary right view is based upon a set of conclusions in super mundane right view we generally do not come to conclusions for the long term long-lasting mm. things that things are in fact are more temporary so our our super mundane right view has more to do with this moment mm-hmm. rather than over the long haul because we don't know how the long haul is going to be that's why that kind of right view is ordinary is because It doesn't solve all of life's problems. And not only that, but like with the government, the more rules the government makes just means more people will be looking for more loopholes to go do what they want to do and get away with it. Yeah. Alright, so, uh, it's better to be able to, um, if if any individual has the opportunity is to go to uh, train in and learn and understand noble right view, because ordinary right view and wrong view are both dangerous. Now, one thing to understand, and that is everybody does a little bit of all three of them throughout the day, mm-hmm. but that everyone will have kind of a um, uh, an existential life position. For instance, a mobster will have wrong view where a priest will have ordinary right view, but then that priest still thinks that sometimes he can get away with it.
1: Okay. It is like based on that uh, Hinduist uh, personality characterization, that it has like the tapas and the sati, I think so. There are three types of personality. One is very angry, and the other one is, like, neutral and lethargic, and the other one is, like, more full of wisdom. Is based on that?
0: No, not at all. Okay. But, in fact, you could go so far as to say that the three things that you were mentioning actually come out of... Um, an area of psychology that was in development in the 1930s. It's kind of like a primitive psychology and that you could go so far as to say uh, that the um, the angry one would be one of wrong view
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that the ordinary right view is the active one and the noble right view would be passive.
1: But yeah, that, that doesn't no
0: fit so Right. So, but it doesn't fit exactly that way, okay. and in fact, people don't fit that personality system that way anyway. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's it's kind of primitive, but I understand what you're talking about, and so yeah, you can say, it Gal is black Lincoln. white. Mm-hmm. All right. So now that we're beginning to understand right view, uh, noble right view right noble right view then is used in conjunction with sati and Mm -hmm. one's noble right effort when you have right noble sati right noble effort and right noble view then these things will work together they will run and circle around each other and that we work with that in the practice of anapanasati that brings about the fourth item which is right um, attitude, Mm -hmm. one's right, noble attitude. Now, Mm -hmm. when people begin practice, they begin practice with ordinary right view, Mm -hmm. but eventually when we come to a a certain stage in practice, that's when that uh, view becomes more noble. And that the distinction between the two of them is, is that ordinary right view has selfishness in it, but the noble right view is not selfish, it's altruistic. We're not looking at it from our own perspective or our own point of view, we're looking at it from a human point of view, or looking at it from a, a larger group to where ordinary right view generally has to do with what's going to happen to me. Yes. My wrong uh, actions bring about my uh, own punishment. And the way to avoid punishment is by not behaving wrongly. Mm -hmm. But once we get the right uh, noble attitude, that noble attitude along with the other factors bring about a mindset that is naturally free from wrongdoing because we don't want anything. So we're not going to take anything if we don't want anything. And so the noble way of looking at it is not that we try to follow the rules to gain some advantage, but rather because we already have the advantage, we kind of naturally follow the rules. The mm-hmm. very high-quality rules that, we, they, that some people set up, they could see that, oh, we can live well if we follow these rules. But basically what they're talking about is the way of life of someone who is free, free from suffering. So uh, this Eightfold Noble Path then that we're talking about has a component of morality and it has the component of wisdom and it has the component of training or the gathering together quality, which we would okay. call samadhi. And so when this training process completed and all the things are gathered together, this is what we mean by the word Samati. In the West, and I know where it came from, it came from the translations, bad translations originally. Uh, the, the, The stuff that's in Pali, huge Pali canon is translated into English, because the the original translators were Christians, and therefore Buddhism has a lot of Christian influence with it in the terminology that's used that is often not correct understanding of Buddhism. That the guys who were doing it, they understood a little bit about the Asian languages and Eastern, uh, let us say, Indo-European languages, but they did not understand Buddhism at all. And mm-hmm. for that reason, the original translations and the lexicons were still suffering under that problem of not knowing exactly what the words mean. The word that I'm picking on right now is the word samati. Because the word samati does not mean concentration. And yet many, yeah. many, many times That's it's, what I it's uh, translated into the word concentration. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that gives students then... Uh, a misunderstanding about how to do their meditation practice because we're not practicing to concentrate the mind we're practicing to unify all of the various aspects of the mind Mm -hmm. that's a bit of a different viewpoint because when people say that they were going to practice concentration meditation they often do what they think of as called going deep yeah that's what I did
1: was based, based on, on this
0: field based on going deep and maybe yeah. putting in some effort to do that to where the actual teachings of the Buddha is to wake up to brighten don't go deep go high mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. don't dig a pit climb a mountain yeah yeah okay so this is what we mean when we're talking about sati is to actually to wake up to get the mind bright not to go deep another quality about going deep is is that generally um, the mind is not pure because the mind is not completely free from the hindrances mm-hmm. and so what we're what we really need to do in our in our right view is enough of an investigation to tell that most of what the mind is doing is actually preventing us from being in the state that we want to be in that's why they're called hindrances i see so most of the kind of thoughts that a meditator will have while he is meditating is actually just more hindrance mm-hmm. and so he sees hindrance he knows hindrances, and uh uh this brings in the word dukkha The word dukkha actually is uh, wrongly translated into the word suffering. In fact, if you go down the street and you ask people one after another, oh, I've got some Buddhism here I'll give you if you're suffering, and everybody will say, no, I'm not suffering. But everybody will admit that there is lots of times in their life when they are dissatisfied.
1: Yes, yes.
0: So this is what Dukkha is, is that it's being in a state of dissatisfaction. Mm -hmm. And so the whole teaching of the Buddha is, is to learn to see this dissatisfaction, get to know it well enough. I almost said to get to know it very well, but getting to know it very well often means that we go deep into it. Mm -hmm. We don't need to know it very well. We only need to know it enough to know that it is painful, that it is harmful, that it is dissatisfying. And that's all we need to know about it is to get out of it. Enough to be able to step aside and not step in it. So a kind of way of thinking about it is imagine that you were on uh, a pasture that had cattle at the other end of the pasture, but this is their pasture, and they've been in it all the time, all over the place. To get over to the other side of the pasture where the cows are, you can either just think, I'm going over there, and you're watching the cows, and you get closer and closer to them. If you go that way, by the time you get there, your boots are going to be completely covered with green yuck called cow pies. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you're going to go to the other side of that pasture over there, you need to watch every step you take to make sure that you're not stepping in a pile of cow pie. Okay. That's the way that we have to learn to live our life. Mm-hmm. Is to not look at the cattle way on the other side of the pasture, but to stop watch to start watching every step. I see. Every step, so that we can avoid stepping in the cow pie.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But when we begin to get started, we recognize, <clears throat> wait a minute, almost every place I step is cow pie. We got to find a way of getting some of this stuff out of the way, so we can at least figure out what the what dry land or the floor is actually is. Mm-hmm. And so this is the way that we begin to practice: is to recognize that. Uh, we have to see these cow pies. We have to be able to see our own crap or see our own bullshit or to see our own uh, hindrance. Aha, uh-huh, I see you, Mara, is the yes. language that the Buddha used. Aha, uh-huh, I can see that stuff. And this is the basis of the practice, which is one's right view okay. to investigate to see that what the mind is doing right now Is actually not all of that beneficial at all it's not that wholesome that we need to do something new with the mind and the basic thing that we need to do with the mind is to throw whatever it was in the mind that we saw out and put something better in the mind
1: which would be the gladdening of the mind
0: that's the gladdening of the mind that's the process of gladdening the mind is to put something better that's the, the
1: part I have uh, some difficulties on doing. I can like see the the things that uh, are troubling me and I can like um, even clear my mind but I can't quite get to the part of gladdening the mind consistently.
0: All right. Well, there are different ways that we can use that language. A lot of students have the uh, and they, they say, well... I can tell myself to be happy. Yeah. But but I'm not happy.
1: Yeah, yeah. i face Uh, that a lot. uh,
0: (laughs) I did that the past couple days. Okay, so a way that we can start with this is that instead of talking ourselves into being happy when we don't feel like being happy, we can at least go to the point of relaxation, to at least feel relieved that the mind is free from the hindrances,
1: mm.
0: that wow, boy I'm glad I don't have to think about that fight I had with okay. Aunt Susie. Okay. So relief is a degree of happiness? Uh, mm. me, <laughs> of course it is, relief is a degree of happiness. Okay, okay. Then in fact they're very closely related.
1: Yeah. And it kind of takes off the edge of like, uh, when I told myself I was happy, even though I didn't feel like that, it would feel like I was uh, fooling myself in some way, like telling me that I am what I not feel. Uh, uh, it sounded oh, kind of like... in that way,
0: you just substituted one hindrance from another. huh because neither one of you are actually giving yourself the feeling of feeling good.
1: Yeah, exactly. What nice. is this second uh, hindrance?
0: So the right way to practice is, is to recognize hindrances, all of them as hindrances, including the one that you just mentioned. Telling yourself to feel good and not feeling good, that's a hindrance. These okay. are also what we would call affirmations, and uh, the books are filled with this. Uh, self-help books uh, have all kinds of affirmations about, uh, and 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 the story is about the uh, the teenage girl standing in front of the mirror in the bathroom, telling herself that she's uh, a princess and she's going to have a wonderful day, mm. Well, really she doesn't believe it.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's kind of like it. So we need to work with the real. And the real is uh, perhaps changing the uh, the language that we use so that you can get the actual sensation of what we're looking for, the actual experience of relief. That in fact, the, the hindrances are what keeps us from being satisfied in our life. Mm-hmm. And so getting rid of the hindrances should be quite a relief. The Buddha actually gives five. He gives five analogies for five hindrances, but that the five analogies don't necessarily fit one, one, one analogy for Another analogy for another hindrance, etc mm-hmm. like that. But basically, these five analogies are just for the hindrances in general. Okay. That when you free yourself from the hindrances, then it's like this, uh, this analogy. Okay, so the first analogy is that we are sick. We're in the hospital or that we're in the bed and that we don't feel good, that we feel uh, sick. And then later we feel better and we're ready to get out of the bed and go do something. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is like having the hindrances then in the mind is like the mind being sick. And that when we're free from the hindrances, that's like the mind being well. So that's quite a relief. Boy, it feels good to not feel bad now, you Mm -hmm. know, that I'm not sick. Another analogy is the analogy of going to jail, that when we are in hindrances, we, are, we have no freedom, that we're, we're locked in, and we're locked into the hindrances, that they own us. Mm-hmm. For an example of that is when we're angry, we say, I am angry, which means the anger now controls me. I, cannot, I have no choice other than to be angry. To the point it takes my identity. Yeah, the anger takes the identity, exactly. The bad feelings, the hindrances will take over your identity and put you in jail, and you have no freedom.
1: So, if I have a lack of motivation, for instance, lack of motivation for, like, being happy, that's a hindrance
0: in itself? Yes. Yes, it is. And in fact, that would be the hindrance of sloth and torpor. And what we mm. mean by sloth and torpor is both uh, when the mind is really tired, when it doesn't have enough uh, energy, that's that's the sloth or the, the tiredness. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, that's the torpor when, when the mind is just not functioning. But mm-hmm. sloth, uh, which has the quality of doubt with it, is what's the point? An example of why should I do meditation? I'm not getting anything out of it anyway. And this is part of the reason why most people quit meditation is because yeah. they're not getting anything out of it. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're not getting anything out of it is because they're in the hindrance of yeah. what's the thought or what's the point? I'm not getting anything out of it.
1: I get like a minor version of this because I I know that is uh, going to bring me to relief, and I actually know this for a fact because of the examples of it. But at the same time, I cannot help like the present uh, slowness
0: or the present doubt. Well. What we can do, though, is we can wake up to these doubts to see that these are doubts Mm -hmm. or to see that these are questions about uh, that. And by seeing these things as for what they are, now we know that we can do something about it until we see it clearly. We're just kind of stuck in it. Oh, what's the point? Mm -hmm. Well... We actually have various levels of waking up. Okay. Everybody wakes up a little bit in the morning when they get out. When before they get out of bed, when they first wake up, they don't get out of bed. They stay in bed. Yeah. All right. We set the alarm or whatever like that. That means that we're not really fully woken up. We just Mm -hmm. wake up Mm -hmm. just a little bit. But once we wake up more completely. Now we're ready to get out of bed. Time to get up. So when we wake up with our sati and meditation, we don't want to only wake up enough to see what's going on. We want to wake up enough to get out of it. Yes. Okay. This is what we mean by waking up to the dukkha. Is to say not just all uh, the the mind is wondering or the mind is worried or the mind is uh, asking questions about what the what's the point or what's the meaning of life, instead of recognizing that as what the mind is doing, we also uh, are woken up enough to know that, wow, it's doing that, and that's painful. Mm-hmm. It's painful to be stuck into that position. It's and like getting off of a so by waking up enough to see that those thoughts are Dukkha, now we can actually do something about it. Okay. That's when we say, Aha, uh-huh, I can see that doubt. Aha, uh-huh, I see you, Mara. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. I can see that uh, crap. Or as one student just says, uh, well, what bullshit? And I said, yeah. So now we can say, uh-huh, I see you, bullshit. uh mm-hmm i see what the mind is doing so this is the fully waking up is to recognize that i do not have to do that Mm -hmm. that just because the mind is in the habit of doing that doesn't mean that i've got to no i can wake up i can wake up completely i can throw that stuff out and come into a state of relaxation that just being free from that stuff is kind of like getting out of jail And so the third analogy is like being a servant, Mm -hmm. that you've got to do stuff for someone. Like the servant of the king's got to get up before the king, get his clothes out ready, and then work uh, with the king all day long. And after the king goes to bed, only then can the servant go to bed. Okay, Mm -hmm. so this is very much like being in jail, except that um, while our freedom is not constricted, our time is. Okay. And so being a servant is very actually very much like having a job. in the sense that we can't think the thoughts that we want to think. We've got to think the thoughts that are associated with the job. Well guess what? When we sit down to meditation, what do we do? Well, we're in the habit of thinking about the job, so we might as well think about the job some more. Rather than saying, no, now is the time to not think about jobs, any kind of job, out job. I Mm -hmm. have no work to do right now. I am free from work. I am not a servant. I am free Mm -hmm. now. And so we come out of that uh, hindrance of finding something to do. The next analogy is like being in debt. I don't know whether you're in debt or not, but I imagine everyone that I talk to will say that oh, it is better to be out of debt. Yeah, of course. It is better to own a car outright rather than own a car and make payments on it every month. Right? Mm-hmm. It is better to be free from debt. Well, what we what what are we in debt to are the things that we think should be paid off or to come. So, wanting things that we don't have is like being in debt for those things. Okay. So when we pay the debt off, then we can get them. But if I don't want anything, then I'm free from debt. I don't owe anybody anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we come to the state of mind of I don't owe anybody anything. And then the next analogy, the final analogy, is the analogy of being out on, uh, uh, in the wilderness, perhaps with a camel caravan with all of our goods, and we're out on the trail, and there's uh, um, the danger the camel could broke his leg. There's dangers that the, uh, the uh, snakes, there's danger from thieves. There's all kinds of dangers out there, and I've got all my goods on that uh, travel. But then when I get to the, to the rest stop or finally home, once I get home, I can relax. I've done the job. And not only that, but I've arrived safely. Mm-hmm. I made it travel. Okay, so these five an- analogies for the five hindrances is like we feel like that we're healthy, not sick. How do we feel healthy is by breathing well. Because people who are not breathing very well and they're shutting down, they feel a little sick. Being in prison means that we cannot do the things that we want to do. We feel bound and constrained by our own thoughts.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: We also feel like that we've got work to do. And so we think about being a servant rather than, no, I've got no work to do now, nothing to do. We have the feeling that we're in debt, and those debts have to be paid. But after we come free from the hindrances, now we don't owe anybody anything. We're not obligated for anything. Not only do we have no work to do, but we have no obligations for any future work. Everything is good right now. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the hindrance of uh, being on a, on a travel. And I've, I've been out traveling in the past. And in fact, in recent years, I've had to go for visa to the other island and be on the boat where all of the tourists are. And every tourist has got three bags. He's got a backpack in the front. He's got a, back, a bigger backpack in the back. And then he's got this suitcase that he's carrying around. Mm-hmm. And wow, well, is had a bunch of drudgery. Mm-hmm. and I can walk onto that boat with both hands empty carrying nothing and that gives me a lot of freedom because when people are carrying a lot of baggage around they have to watch it every minute you can't go up to the ticket counter or in fact uh, you want to put the bags over there which means now you've got to have someone with you, a guard and that person is probably your friend so now they've got all of their bags so you got two people and and six bags and what a mess it is to be out traveling
1: yeah
0: and so when those people get into their hotel room finally they can say can take a load off yeah uh, so that's how we are also the mind is out traveling it's out wandering it's going all over the place it's restless hmm we need to bring it to the point of where we can settle down mm-hmm and so these five hindrances are the good analogy for us to understand that uh, these uh, five analogies point out these five hindrances that keep us from being <clears throat> relaxed, happy, and at peace, so that if we remove these five hindrances, naturally, we're going to be at, gladdened and at peace. But it still requires that change because we've got to take the effort to throw these hindrances out of the mind. First, we have to see that this is a hindrance. We have to wake up first before that. We purely have to wake up so that we can now apply right view to see this is a hindrance. Out it goes. And then now we take the right effort to throw it out. That right effort, then, is actually the gladdening the mind by putting something new in the mind. So the question is, what new, good, wholesome, valuable thing are you going to put in the mind to throw the old thought out? The Buddha's idea was, aha, I see you, Mara. I got mm-hmm. you.
1: The active thoughts, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And once I have that thought, I see you, Mara, now we can take a deep, long breath. Mm-hmm. it's important for the breathing to be long and deep a lot of meditation teachers in some books uh, say merely to watch the breath yeah uh, I found that and so then the, the mind is really easy to wander away into hindrances yeah. but if you practice Anapanasati the way that is specified in the and that is long deep in breath and a long, deep out breath. And we understand this long, deep in breath as a long, deep in breath. I and can prolong the breath. breath, go ahead. I can prolong the breath
1: like for several seconds, like more than five, or it has to be five seconds?
0: Um,
1: because I feel like I well, relax more.
0: I I would say, okay, five seconds on the in-breath and five seconds on the out-breath and maybe a couple of seconds between the in-breath, between the out-breath and the next new in-breath.
1: But it it does harm if I go higher, like if I take a breath of like seven eight, seconds,
0: eight seconds? Eight, eight and four is also a common. If you do okay. five, five, two, that's 12 seconds and that's five breaths a minute, eight, eight, uh, four is 20 seconds or three breaths a minute okay I'll try that one eight seconds sounds good okay but you take a long deep breath in the sense that we don't want to fill it fill the lungs up a hundred percent nor do we empty them to zero mm. but that most people when they're breathing on a shallow basis they go like between 40 and 60 So when they're full up, they're only at about 60%. When they breathe out, they're only at about 40%. But they do it fairly quickly. We're elongating that so that we bring in more air. And so I would say that we were putting it up to about 80%. On the in-breath, we're about 80% full. And then when we're empty, we go down to about 30%. -hmm. So 80-30, 80-20, something like that. So that we breathe out we sigh we let it all go yeah. but we're not yeah. trying to push all the air out we're making it really easy 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 breathing okay long deep slow in-breath and long deep slow out-breath and by doing that we allow the mind then to settle around that kind of breathing as opposed to easily walking away hmm but even though the mind will stay on that kind of breathing still the thoughts will be there Mm -hmm. and some students will say all the thoughts are in the background while i'm watching the long deep in breath and Mm -hmm. the long deep out breath still the thoughts are in the fast pardon
1: it's shifting too fast so i think it's uh,
0: at the same time but it's not all right well, don't think of them in the sense of being in the background, but thinking of it in the sense of mind moments. Yeah. This this moment you're watching the breath. This mind moment, there's a thought. This mind moment, they're on the breath. This mind moment, they're on the thought. When you
1: talk about like mind moment, it has uh, a quality of time, but it has a quality of some other thing like space time. What is this uh, mind time
0: you said? Well, like a, like I was pointing out, uh, this next mind moment, you actually are, are thinking the thought or you're looking at the thought. And then mm. the next mind moment, you're back to watching the breath. So this mind moment thing that I'm talking about is just a way of uh, where our attention or where our focus is. Because within one breath, if you're down to three breaths to five breaths a a minute, then that means that in that breath, you have lots and lots of time, and the mind is fast. Oh, the mind is so fast. But because you now have this framework of watching the long, deep in-breath and long, deep out-breath, that means that there's a moment or a point in sati for, for that in-breath, each in-breath and each out-breath, we will come back to the breathing. So we've mm-hmm. got this anchor. We keep coming back oh. to the same little place over and over and over again, which means now the mind cannot wander so far away. Is there one-pointedness? Not looking for one-pointedness. Okay. I don't know where that word one-pointedness came from because we're not looking for it. Okay. If you are sitting, if you're sitting in the jungle and are sitting one pointedness, the tiger can come up and eat you because mm-hmm. you're not paying attention to what's going on around you. I don't think that one pointedness is a goal. If there's a, if there's a goal, I would say all pointedness rather than one pointedness. Okay. All right, Let's expand our awareness. Let's get a broad a way of looking at things rather than a narrowing down. Okay. That narrowing down or that one point, focusness, is a, again around that word concentration or in the quality of going deep. What we're doing here is we're developing exactly the opposite of that. We're, we're developing waking up. Mm-hmm. To wake up to see what the mind is doing so that you can put in the mind what you want to have in there and going deep is actually just investigating what's in the mind which is just rummaging around in one's basement mm-hmm. when you could live in the penthouse.
1: Okay.
0: Okay, so we're, we need to take our elevator of the mind up, not down.
1: Mm-hmm. So, when I am breathing, if I'm not like focusing in one point, it means I'm not focusing like in the nostrils, for example. It means I have to focus on the entire breath system, like in the nose and in the throat and in the belly.
0: You can. In fact, step three of Anapanasati is to experience the body. And in a Somebody. way, what that means is, is to go through the body and, and figure it out. We don't generally pay much attention to the body. Mm-hmm. And so when we're breathing, we're actually beginning to wake up the body.
1: Yeah. When you're breathing, I, I you can feel the
0: movement. That. Pardon?
1: I try to refrain from paying attention to the whole body. I try to take, to pay attention only to the breathing. And the breathing into the nostrils only.
0: I've been doing uh, that. You, there's no real reason to think about nostrils. Okay. The not that the stuff about nostrils comes from much later literature. It is not in the suttas Okay. The suttas does not talk about the uh, the nose tip or the nostrils, or does it talk about nematai in the sense of uh anapanasati okay okay that we're not actually practicing that kind of meditation right now that what we're doing instead is waking things up okay not shutting it down
1: Mm
0: Mhm. okay we're waking things up we're getting it bright we're going to get the mind free from hindrances but i I still have that doubt uh to where i should pay attention if
1: not the nostrils where should i locate my my breathing
0: in your breathing like the air in itself well and the the fact that the the body is breathing so you look at the body movements what does the body do for an in-breath okay what does the body do for an out-breath what is the touch of the cloth what is the air on the skin? Mm-hmm. What is the uh, the movement of the cloth in relationship to the back? So when you're breathing in and out, you want to begin, begin. To oh, open so the it's posture. very broad. Very broad. Oh, right? okay. I was doing like
1: the complete opposite. I was doing so wrong then. Okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> yes so we want to get to know the entire body the whole body okay and and the um uh so we we can see the diaphragm we can see the uh the abdomen we can see the chest we can feel the throat we have ample opportunity to investigate the body so can anything related to the notice? breathing goes. pardon
1: anything related to the breathing goes.
0: Yes, including our thoughts. Okay, okay. Because because this is where we come in now. If you can learn to control your breath, you can learn to control your thoughts. If Mm -hmm. you can learn to control your thoughts, then you can learn to control your feelings. Okay, okay. If you can learn to control your feelings, then you can choose not to be angry. You can be happy instead. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, now it so, makes so
0: much se- more sense okay okay all thank right, you Alright. so we're going to learn to control the body by breathing well
1: by uh-huh. getting the
0: body oxygenated yeah right yeah. and all of that and now also we're going to get the the mind itself uh to under a bit of control because we're only going to allow wholesome thoughts okay what are wholesome thoughts well We could say uh, that wholesome thoughts are different than unwholesome thoughts because unwholesome thoughts will take us out of our state of being uh, secure, uh, satisfied, at peace, at um, rest, um, into a bit of fear or into a bit of anger or into a bit of restlessness or into any of that kind of stuff that would be associated with hindrance in fact they're all they're all listed there wanting things we don't have putting up with stuff we don't like which would be at uh, at uh, an extreme level would be anger because we don't like things uh all of that stuff can be considered a hindrance and so we want to be free from those hindrances so that we can think wholesome thoughts rather than unwholesome thoughts. Okay. So thoughts of wanting, thoughts of ill will, thoughts of um, harming someone, thoughts of harming ourselves, uh, um, thoughts of going and getting drunk or thoughts of going buying something, thoughts of... Uh, 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 fixing an old broken laptop all of that kind of stuff is actually um, uh, then those kind of thoughts would be unuseful for this present moment. Okay. Another one would be thoughts of the bank. Let's say that tomorrow you have to go to the bank (laughs) but thinking about the bank today is useless. Mm -hmm. You only need to think about the bank enough to get the stuff together that you need to go and take to the bank and other than that, every time we think about the bank, it's completely useless.
1: It's yes. like being
0: a servant to the bank when you don't have to think about the bank at all. Mm-hmm. And yet mm-hmm. most people, when they when they go to the bank, they've been to the bank in their mind a hundred times before they yeah. actually physically walk into the bank. Mm-hmm. So now that we know we don't have to think about any of that stuff, we can think about wholesome things instead. Okay. So we begin to think about wholesome things and weave away unwholesome things. So now an example of that would be the restless mind. When the mind is restless, when it's a monkey mind, when uh, the reason that there is restlessness there is because there's something underneath it that's driving it. Okay. And what is underneath that's driving it, you could say that would be anxiety or tension or maybe even um, uh, doubt that's built into uh, fear. That the basic bottom line is fear and that we're out then looking for safety and security. Well, we need to recognize that that safety and security is now missing in the mind and instead of being out looking for it, we can say, never mind, throw that stuff out. I can take a deep breath and feel comfortable and secure right now. Okay. What I'm thinking about is not going to make me feel comfortable and secure. So out that stuff goes, and I'm going to intentionally think thoughts about being comfortable, secure, happy, at rest, at peace, Okay, so we cultivate that that sense of joy. We cultivate that sense of uh, um, satisfaction. And we can talk ourselves into it, but in the talking ourselves into it, it's not like talking ourselves into it in a way that we don't believe it's going to happen, Mm -hmm. but rather talking ourselves into it because we know that it will the example of that would be instead of saying may all beings be happy we can say right now i wish they were all as happy as i am Mm -hmm. that's an example the next kind of thing would be this is good enough work with this is good enough this Mm -hmm. is satisfying okay okay that this is good enough that's all we have to have. It may not be the very best good enough there is, but this is a skill to be developed. So we have yeah, to develop the reasonable. skill yeah. the skill of being satisfied, the skill of being comfortable in this present moment, okay. the skill of feeling safe right now. This okay. is good enough. Okay. Okay. And so this is a skill that needs to develop. It's going to take some effort to do this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And also the effort to stay out of the hindrances, to stay out of the ordinary stuff, out of the ordinary mind, and come back into this stuff that's only wholesome. Mm-hmm. To make sure that the thoughts are wholesome thoughts, like this is good. Okay. Wow, I understand this breath. Oh, what a nice breath it is. Okay, so this is the kind of th- th- thoughts that we begin to develop the thoughts of right now. Is marvelous.
1: Yes. And there is too a satisfaction involved in uh, learning the right way to do things to make yourself happy. For instance, when you taught me the right way of doing Anapanasati, uh, I began to feeling more satisfied. Like, ah, I got the technique right now.
0: Right. That's and, where uh, the confidence comes from is because yeah, you know yeah, that you can do it right and this is it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So you perfect. get results and then those results give you the confidence to do it again and then you get better results. And so our confidence begins to build.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so does our satisfaction. As our confidence builds, our satisfaction builds. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is actually now, uh, in this relationship, this is how we practice the Eightfold Noble Path. It's through Mm -hmm. one's right view, through one's right effort and right sati to remember to do this. We begin to develop the right attitude, and the right attitude is, I can do this. Mm -hmm. The right attitude is, wow, I feel really good. I see. And so begin to practice that right attitude of I can do this. Okay. The attitude of being successful at it. The attitude of being satisfied. Okay. Okay. And you practice it that way, and now you'll you'll begin to see uh, a bit of difference. And it does take a while for students. Not actually, it takes a while to understand what a simple technique this is, but that it. it's so different than the way that we normally do things yeah yeah
1: yeah I get exactly that feeling
0: great all right well it's good to see you again Arthur do you have any more questions about this
1: yeah it's good to see you again too I have one more question and it's about the timing of my sessions like uh, when I am in the like the last session of today
0: Hang on a second. Okay. Sorry about that. It's a lot okay. Of noise right now. okay. Ask your question again. Uh,
1: when I'm like uh, in the last session of the day, usually I feel like going for more minutes, like uh, 15 or 20 minutes. Can I do that or I have to work? Sure. As long as you're enjoying
0: your practice.
1: Okay, okay. yes. I, I get this feeling that I enjoy it and then I want to continue it. Sure. But at the same time, I feel like uh, I don't want to get <laughs> It's a tricky question because uh, I feel like there is a degree of attachment. If I want to stay more than 10 minutes, I don't know if it's a problem.
0: Uh, let's talk about that later. But right now, I would say that you're when you're talking about this, the word attachment is in western buddhism a confusion basically there are only four modes of attachment and this is not one of the four modes of attachment this is actually attaching to something useful valuable and wholesome okay okay you're not attaching you're not clinging to things that cause suffering you're just merely attaching yourself uh, to something that's wholesome. Now, there's actually a sutta, which, uh, by the name of it, is translated as one fortunate attachment. Mm, mm-hmm. One fortunate attachment is to attach yourself to the here now. Okay. Well, that was exactly what you were doing. Okay, I see. You're attaching it right. So, I right, attach yourself to the here now. Other things that are worthwhile attaching yourself to would be wholesome thoughts. Okay. Another thing to be attached to that would be worthwhile would be attaching yourselves to the uh four noble truths, the eightfold noble path, the teachings of the Buddha. This okay. is something that's worthwhile attaching ourselves to. hmm And that attachment also is a way of is a, a way of looking at right effort.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So let us say that there was a, a town that we were in that was full of poison. Everything was covered, say, with cooties. Mm-hmm. And so I've got to get out of town. And so I mm-hmm. go to the train station and I get on the train. Well, I've got to get on the train. People will say, oh, if I'm in a town where everything is cooties and I can't touch anything... Then that means I can't touch the train either. No, mm-hmm. we got to touch the train to get on the train because the train's going to take us out of town. Yeah, yeah. I see. Okay. okay, so there are fortunate attachments. What are those fortunate attachments? The things that take us out of unfortunate attachments.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: One's right effort is the effort that it takes to, to uh, bring an end to effort, to okay. bring an end to of, of work And do okay, okay, okay. Okay. Does that answer that question easily? Yes,
1: absolutely.
0: Yeah, all right. So, if you're sitting there and enjoying your practice, all just sit there and enjoy. Where else is there to go? (laughs) What else is there to do? Okay, (laughs) okay, thank you
1: so much. I see you very soon.
0: We'll see you later, Arthur. Okay, bye bye. Thank you, bye bye.